This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Again, this is a very special day in case you came in after we talked about it previously. Uh, we are, we're celebrating uh, God's work so far uh, in the New City Paramore Ave congregation. And we are also uh, just thinking about God's heart and his promises regarding the future uh, as it pertains uh, to this congregation and Lord willing others like it that will be planted uh, in the future. And so uh, our New City uh, Paramore Ave congregation planter and Pastor Eric Stites is going to preach uh, here, here in a moment. And again, as I said before, we'll have a lunch just sort of commemorating and celebrating uh, this reality. Uh, before Eric comes to preach, and in some ways in preparation for that, I've been asked uh, to give a few comments on our call to worship from Acts chapter 1. Uh, our, our call to worship from Acts chapter one is on the front of your worship folder. If you wanna look there, you can. Uh, I'm, I've been asked to, to talk for about five minutes about that passage and, and, and bring us into, uh, into Eric's sermon. Uh, Luke wrote two books in the New Testament and both of them were written to a man named Theophilus. Uh, he wrote the gospel bearing his name, the gospel of Luke. And in that, in that book, he, he told Theophilus about Jesus's life uh, and death and resurrection. And then Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And in that book, uh, to Theophilus, he tells the story of Jesus's kingdom, Jesus's rule and reign advancing through his church after Jesus had ascended uh, into heaven. And so in Acts chapter one, verses six through 11, uh, Luke is telling us about the final conversation uh, between Jesus and his disciples uh, before Jesus uh, ascends to heaven. And there's at least four things that he tells his disciples, including us. There's at least four things that he tells us about his kingdom uh, in in those verses. He he tells us that his kingdom, his rule and his reign uh, will gradually grow across time. Uh, He tells us that his kingdom will one day be established in full. When he returns, when the father says, now's the time, Jesus will come back and he will establish his new heavens and his new earth in fullness. And everything will be restored to as God intended it to be uh, at creation. Uh, Jesus tells us in the passage that his kingdom is gonna be global. It's not just gonna be localized in Jerusalem or in Israel, but it's gonna be a global rule and reign. And then Jesus says that his kingdom is gonna spread as his people move out and bear witness to him. His gospel, his grace, his forgiveness, his truth, his power, his hope, et cetera, et cetera. As you know, in the Old Testament, uh, Israel was trying to create a nation that would draw people in and be converted to, to being Israelites. And Jesus is telling his disciples and us that something massive is happening Uh, now that he is ascending to heaven, that he wants his people to go out and to bring his gospel message to people in their context, in their way of life, in that place that they're used to. So a lot of commentators will see chapter one, verse eight, if you wanna look. A lot of commentators see this as the thematic statement for the entire book. In fact, uh, this verse serves as an outline for the rest of the book. In chapter, excuse me, in verse seven, uh, the disciples are told by Jesus, you can't know when my kingdom is gonna come in full. But before they get the chance to ask another question, he says this in verse eight, but between now and then, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is telling his disciples that from Jerusalem, his church will multiply in concentric circles around the known world. Not in a political sense, but in a geographical sense, it would be like saying, uh, uh, we're gonna do something from Orlando to Florida to the rest of the world. And the fact of the matter is, the book of Acts tells the story of Jesus's people going out, some willingly, some because of persecution. But either way, God moves his people out into the mission. The book of Acts is all about Jerusalem from chapters one through seven. It's all about Judea and Samaria, chapters eight through 12. It's all about the world, chapters nine to 28. By the end of the book, Paul is in Rome. That's the end of the known world to them. So the story is Jesus going to heaven, giving his spirit, his people moving out, and his people getting to the end of the known world, 120 early adopters. So in chapter one, verse 15, there were 120 believers in Jesus when he went to heaven. And those 120 became thousands upon thousands upon thousands as they went out and bore witness to Jesus, his gospel, and his effect on their life. People experienced Jesus, his gospel, and the powerful effect of his salvation on their life. And the kingdom kept spreading as more and more people began to live for Jesus more and more. And so if you read the book of Acts, you can see this. The kingdom of Jesus grows. The rule and reign of Jesus grows and increases as more churches are planted where more people are being discipled to bear witness to Jesus. Jesus' kingdom grows as churches are planted and more people are discipled to bear witness to Jesus in all of their life. And so, of course, it is a prayer of the leadership of New City that that this congregation will grow and that we, as the congregants in this congregation, would become more mature. But at least as much as we pray for that, we maybe even pray more that we would be able to plant congregations and churches that plant congregations and churches where more people are living more of their lives for Jesus. If you think about it, if this church is like every other church, historically speaking, it will come to an end. But Lord willing, we will have planted churches and congregations that are planting churches and congregations that continue to build Jesus' kingdom until he returns. And so that is a huge prayer for this body. The last thing I would say is this. Listen closely. Because there is a unique and special place in God's heart for neighborhoods like those along Paramore Ave. We started working in Paramore Ave years ago. And we will be honored to continue to invest in that work for many, many, many years to come. God has a deep and profound love in his heart for all of his people. But the scriptures are clear. God has a unique and special love for his people when they experience difficult physical circumstances when they experience systemic injustice and oppression, when they experience trials and suffering beyond what is ordinary in their city. And so we do hope and pray that God will let us plant congregations all over Orlando, but we're committed to this congregation making it, and we're committed to this congregation planting other congregations because this is very important to God. The scriptures are clear. God loves all of his children, but he has a special love 
for folks like our friends living in neighborhoods along Paramore Ave. Eric's gonna tell us more about that. Eric's gonna encourage us in what God has done. Eric is gonna call us to aligning our hearts with God. Please stand. We're gonna pray together the prayer of illumination, praying aloud. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see the glory of the Father and the love of the Son through the reading and preaching of your word. Through Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Isaiah 61, one through four. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, New City. Um, This is a very uh, special moment we've heard many times. And for us, I think, especially as well, it's it's a little bit bittersweet, to be honest. Um, As we're singing and being with you all this morning, I... uh, uh, I'm thinking of, in many ways, this will be a, a final time at, at some level, but I'm so thankful that we are one uh, church. And so while we might be somewhere else, uh, in, in many ways, in heart and in spirit, we are uh, together. Um, so uh, I, I am thankful um, for this, this moment. Uh, there, there really is no greater privilege uh, for me uh, than to take on the work of planting a church. And, and there's no greater privilege for me than to plant a church uh, in the Paramore Ave uh, community. You see, from my vantage point, um, I get to see all the things um, that, that God is doing in many ways that, that other folks don't get to see um, because uh, I'm the pastor and um, that are happening as this little congregation uh, is forming. And, and so with that, I get to see the, the great things that are happening. Um, I get to see the really hard things that are happening. But, but more than that, um, I get to see the, the God things that are happening. Uh, the things that, that you couldn't have made happen, right, with all the perfect planning in the world, uh, the relationships that are, that are being made, the, the barriers that begin to break down, um, the hearts that are made alive. You see, these are the things that only God can do, and he is doing them, uh, slowly but surely. Uh, and, and so if there's something that I want you to leave with uh, today, it would be a renewed sense of how great is our God, how great is our God? That, that you would leave here celebrating what God is doing. That, that we would get to serve alongside him in his mission in the world, um, as Ted just talked about. You see, some of my, my new friends in the community, they're a lot quicker um, to see God's hand uh, working in a situation than I am. I like to look at my own hands and how they make situations happen. But my friends in the community are quick to say, uh, God is working. And so they'll say, well, would you look at God, Right? Would you look at God? Yes, this morning, would you look at God and what he is doing? 
Um, and, and as you do that, you can rejoice. And let me tell you, you can actually rejoice and still be Presbyterian all at the same time. It's okay. Um, there you go. Um, yes, you can rejoice uh, and be Presbyterian. We can be excited about what God is doing. So, so I first say that to say I'm privileged to be doing this work. And I'm privileged to be doing it um, with a group of people um, who are committing their lives in many ways. Uh, and so I, I would also say that there is, there's also nothing harder um, than planting a church. Um, and I'm not even doing it alone um, because I have the support uh, of you all. I have the support of an incredible body of, of believers that believes in what we're doing. And I hope even more so that you believe in what God uh, is doing, what he's already doing and what he's going to do. So, um, so thank you for your uh, encouragement all along the way uh, to us. Now, the sermon for this morning is a little bit different, um, partially because Ted already preached a third of it, so I'm really grateful for that, so um, we can get to eating quickly. Um, um, But no, secondly, because this is a celebration of our new congregation, I get to answer this question. Why are we planting a church uh, in the Paramore Ave community? And so to answer that question, I, I'm, I'm preaching from Isaiah 61. But, but the good news is uh, we could have picked a number of passages um, to, 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 to support the fact that we're planting a church here. Um, and as a matter of fact, I think the Bible makes it clear that this is one of the first places um, that we should plant a church if we are able. And so here we stand at New City. We have this church that has been planted and the first church that we are um, trying to plant the first congregation is in Paramore Ave. And so I, I want to think that God is honored by that. Um, and so this morning, um, I want to take us through these, these few verses uh, and see how they answer these three questions. The first is, why Paramore Ave? Why are we going there? The second is, why are we planting a church? And the third is, who gets the glory? Why Paramore Ave? Why plant a church? And who gets the glory? So, so first, why, why Paramore Ave? Why are we going to this community that, that in Orlando would, would make it to the top of many of the lists that you don't want to be at the top of, to be quite honest? Uh, whether it's poverty or crime or prostitution or a lack of education or homelessness and on and on. Why? Why would you go there? Because God's heart is for this community, as Ted already said. I, I don't know how to measure this out. I wish I could show you really clearly, but... I know that if we're, we're able to see a, a list of God's priorities um, in terms of the places that, that he loves and he has a passion for, um, the places that he cares for deeply, the places that cause him to be moved, the places that he would say, go plant a church there, communities like Paramore Ave are on the top of that list. You see, in God's economy, this is a place that, that gets his first attention, I think, and it gets his full attention. And so how, how do we know, though, that this is God's heart? Why well, I think we look at the passage. Look at verse 1. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. In verse 2, to comfort all who mourn. In verse 3, to give a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So the poor, which is another way to translate this would be uh, afflicted, Uh, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the bound up, the mourners, the faint-hearted, these are all words that could easily summarize our community, the Paramore Ave community. 
Um, I have a, 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 an older gentleman who comes into my office every single morning, and I love him dearly. And as I un, uh, have gotten to know him over time, um, his story uh, is, is purely one of every one of these things, um, of being afflicted, of being uh, a person who is mourning, of being brokenhearted, uh, being bound up, of being faint-hearted. He will uh, come oftentimes and say, Eric, I'm just tired. I'm just weary. But now, now these, these, these are not labels um, to be slapped on us um, by our community, uh, by those who compile statistics. They're, they're not our identity that's, that's written on our foreheads, okay? But, but they are things that are true. Now, I know you might be saying, well, I, I live in College Park, or I live in Baldwin Park, or I live in Thornton Park, or Delaney Park, or whatever park in Orlando that you live in. Um, <laughs> And I see these things all around me as well. And, uh, and I know there's people, you would say, that, that are around me that are afflicted and, and brokenhearted and captive to their addictions, who are mourning the loss of a loved one, who are, who are weary, and, and so on and so on. And I hear you, because I, I do think, I mean, do believe that this passage does apply to, to all of us in some way. Uh, I don't want to belittle the suffering that, that we all face on a daily basis, but... But there are certain places, as Ted alluded to, where the, the spiritual realities of Isaiah 61, um, being spiritually poor, being spiritually brokenhearted, being spiritually captive and bound up, being spiritually faint-hearted, are met with the very tangible and physical realities of Isaiah 61. To truly be poor and brokenhearted in all of those things in a very physical way. And so Paramore Ave is one of those places where those two things meet in a very real way. You see, when, when I walk around, or when you were, if you were ever to walk around um, our neighborhood in many ways, you can see, you can hear, you can feel um, all of those things um, that you see in Isaiah 61. But I want to take all of this one step farther. Because there, there's often a reason that certain places feel that way. There's a reason that certain places are experiencing both the spiritual and the physical realities that Isaiah uh, is talking about. Uh, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the mourner, the faint-hearted. These are people who often have something on the outside pushing against them. Often have something pushing down on them and, and crushing them. These are places where oppression has taken place. And so again, I would say Paramore Ave is one of those places. You see, our, our neighborhood was, was built with oppression in mind. It was built with racism in her DNA. It was built on the other side of Division Street. It was built by white people of power for African Americans with no power. With the instructions that this is where you can live and this is where you can eat and this is where you can play. You can come work for us outside of that for, for little pay. But then, but then you got to go back home. So Griffin Park and Carver Court and Jonestown, as it used to be called, South Street, Anderson Street, Paramore Ave, that, that is their history. I know that, that hurts. I, sh I think it should hurt. That, that is oppression, plain and simple. Now, certain laws um, have been changed uh, and legal decisions reversed, but, but you don't wake up the next morning from all of that and just shake it off. Um, you can't shake off that kind of history. The, the vestiges of, of oppression do linger on. Um, like believing things like this, like, like believing the lie that, that you're not good for anything. If you've been oppressed for as, as long as a neighborhood like ours has been oppressed, you, you begin to believe that. Um, 
Or you believe um, that you are not equal to someone else simply because of the color of your skin. Or you begin to believe that the oppression that's all around you is just the way the world works. There's no hope for anything uh, different. And so you see the, the effects of oppression can be just as damaging as the oppression itself, even if the oppressive thing is, is gone. Why Paramore Ave? Because God's heart is for the poor. God's heart is for the brokenhearted, for the captive and the bound up, the mourner and the faint-hearted, because God's heart is for this community. That's why Paramore Ave. It's the reason that he sent his anointed one to bring good news and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All right, the hard stuff is somewhat over. Okay, so you can take a, take a breath. Second, second point, why Paramore Ave is the first point. Second point, why plant a church? Why plant a church? Well, it's, it's really quite simple. You see, the church's job is to preach the gospel. And I believe that all the answers to the hurts in Isaiah 61 are answers that come out of the gospel. Therefore, we should be planting a church in a place like Paramore Ave. Look again at, at Isaiah 61 and, and see all the things that the anointed of the Lord is going to do. He's going to bring good news to the poor. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison um, to those who are bound, to grant to those who mourn, give them a, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So you see, when you know that God's heart is for the poor, the broken heart, and the faint of spirit, his response is to bring the gospel. That's what God does. Brings the gospel and the good news. And he has entrusted the preaching of that gospel to the church. And I believe then that the only way, the only way to truly love our community, like uh, Paramore Ave, is not to start um, another nonprofit organization, though those can be good. Um, it's not to come with our Bibles and balloons on a Saturday afternoon for a kind of one-shot VBS in the park, though this can be good as well. No, I think the way that we truly love the community um, is to be sent into the community, like Ted talked about from Acts 1, to be sent, uh, to live, to eat, to work, to play, and to start a church in that community. And so hopefully you can see now that to a neighborhood like Paramore Ave, the good news that we're talking about in Isaiah 61 is really, really good news. Because it's more than a message, though that's certainly where it starts. But see, the message does something. It has an action with it. The message is, is good news, but then the action is that broken hearts are actually bound up. Um, the message is to proclaim liberty, but the action is that bonds of injustice are actually loosened and taken off. The message is, hey, the year of the Lord's favor is here, but the action um, then is that those who once had no place in the world have a place. They're established. They're given a home, a purpose, a meaning to life that wasn't there before. So I believe this passage shows us that the gospel is the fountain out of which all these other blessings uh, might flow. The gospel is, is holistic uh, and hits on every part of who we are, whether it's spiritual or physical or social or psychological um, or emotional. It hits on all of it. And so we are leading with the church to keep the gospel as our, uh, at our, as our focus. But now, just like I, um, we took a look at why Paramore Ave one step farther, I want us to take why a church plant one step farther. You see, look at verses one through three. Again, it promises all these great things that are going to happen um, to all of the hurting people um, that Isaiah is talking about. But then it keeps going. 
See, the point of it all is not just for the people of Isaiah 61 to be healed and to be made whole. Look at the end of verse 3, because it gives us the purpose, the whole point of it all. Um, It answers the why question. So that they may be called oaks of righteousness. And then in verse 4, it goes on to say, They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Do you see what just happened right there in the passage? Do you see what just happened? Who is the they? The they is the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, and the faint of spirit. It is the ones who are being made whole by the gospel who are now being called oaks of righteousness. The ones who uh, were the object of receiving that message now become the bearers of that message. So just imagine uh, in your mind for a moment an, an oak of righteousness. What is that? Well, an oak... It's a tree with roots deep in the ground, firmly planted, not moving, withstanding the wind and the storms. It's majestic. It provides shade for those around it, and it reproduces other oaks that are just like it. And then of righteousness, what does that mean? Well, see, these are oaks that have been made whole in the gospel and have that restoration running through their veins. It's all the way in the leaves, all the way down to the roots. They are oaks of righteousness, and oaks of righteousness are people. They are people that bring the same gospel that made them whole to other people who are in the same situation they were once in. So in other words, it's the poor, the brokenhearted, the faint of spirit of Isaiah 61 that begin to be made whole in order that they can bring the gospel to the poor, the brokenhearted, and the faint-spirited. You see, we're never given something to hold on to, are we? Uh, The richness of the gift that we're given is realized when we what? When we give it away. You see, the church, I think, has often made this mistake. The church has made the mistake uh, of treating um, those who are hurting, like in Isaiah 61, as only objects uh, of mercy. For whatever reason, uh, whether it's to make ourselves feel better or out of obligation or whatever. But that the end of our mercy efforts is the person or or the people that we're trying to help. That, that's, that's where we feel like it ends oftentimes. But that's not what this passage says. This passage makes it so clear that, that someone is an object of our mercy so that they can become a conduit of our mercy. Do you get that? One is an object, the end uh, of our mercy. We assume nothing else can happen here. <laughs> the other is, I'm doing this, and I know that you are going to be doing the same thing for someone else. See, they are shown mercy so that they might then show mercy themselves. And so I think we have a small view of God uh, when we think that he doesn't have the power to do that. How big is my God? How big is your God? How big is our God? He can do that, and he will, and he is right now. So for us, that's why one of our um, values, one of the things that we felt like we needed to do at the beginning uh, as we established who we are as a church um, was that one of our values was going to be that we need to raise up leadership from within the community. Because according to Isaiah 61, that's what happens um, if the gospel is being brought. And so we're, we're asking God to flesh this out in a, in a very specific way. We call it 12 and 12. You can, you can tweet that or hashtag that or whatever um, you want to do. What we mean is this. Um, our prayer is that God would give us 12 elders in 12 years. You see, it's, it's very easy to get distracted in, in, uh, in our neighborhood. There's so many needs. There's, there's so many crises. What do you do? 
Where, where do you start? I believe uh, that the Lord has made it abundantly clear that the best thing we can do in the neighborhood and the people in it for the long run is to join him as he plants oaks of righteousness. In other words, our efforts are multiplied if, if we serve there to develop leaders. You see, the effect on the neighborhood uh, of 12 elders, uh, of 12 leaders from the neighborhood who care about the neighborhood, who understand the neighborhood, who are making other leaders in the neighborhood will be huge and will long outlive us. As Ted said, there may be a life and an end uh, to our church, but the, the goal is to make oaks of righteousness. And so their ability to do ministry effectively will be so much better than ours. And so I would just, again, ask you to imagine oaks of righteousness um, being planted all throughout the neighborhood, all throughout Anderson and South and Paramore Ave and, and, and everywhere else. That's our hope because it's God's promise. And our hope uh, as a church is that there will be oaks of righteousness in all of our neighborhoods. That's, that's our goal. Um, and this is where we need your prayer. Uh, I was talking to one of uh, the, the young people that... Uh, has just seen an incredible life um, transformation, I guess I would call it at this point. Uh, and, and his comment to me was, listen, man, I got to get out of here. What, what do you mean you got to get out of here? Well, look, all around me, he sees everything of Isaiah 61 every single day. And he says, I got to get out of here. If anything is going to change for me, I got I to, I it's almost like a detox. I understand that, right? My, my prayer would be that, um, that, that he would receive the, the, the nutrients of the gospel um, and that then he would be planted again um, in our neighborhood at some point. Because while he's trying to grow, there's a million things coming at him. Um, and so our prayer is that maybe he's one of those 12. I don't know. But our prayer is that in the meantime, he would be protected. He would find the soil that he can grow in um, so that he might be someone uh, who is a leader uh, in our neighborhood. So we are planting a church um, in order that we might plant uh, oaks of righteousness. So why plant a church? Now finally, who gets the glory in all of this? Who gets the, the glory? It's simple. The Lord gets the glory. Look at verse three. It says that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You know, at the beginning of the sermon, I told you that one of my hopes was that you would walk away uh, with a renewed vision of how great our God is. Um, if what Isaiah 61 is talking about actually starts to happen, the only fitting place to give glory is to him. <laughs> we can't take credit for that. Uh, in, in our own strength, in my own strength, it's ridiculous to think that we could do anything, whether in Paramore Ave or in anywhere else. But you see, the work has already begun. Um, and it's the planting of the Lord. Because he is the one who started it. You see, in Luke 4, much later after Isaiah was written, Jesus begins his ministry by opening the scroll of Isaiah to the page that we just read right now. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he goes on to quote about half of our passage. And then he says this, Today, it, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So the me of Isaiah 61 is Jesus himself, God in the flesh. He's saying, hey, what Isaiah prophesied long ago, I am doing, and it's starting right now. And so that's why it's so clear that God is the one who gets the glory when we plant a church anywhere, but especially in Paramore Ave, because God himself in Jesus is the one who started the work. 
And for the rest of Jesus' life on earth, Jesus was constantly bringing Isaiah 61 about. He brought good news to the poor. He bound up the brokenhearted. He proclaimed liberty to captives, proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. You see, he brought things from death to life by his life ending in a sacrificial death on the cross. And the day of vengeance that Isaiah 61 talked about that should have been taken out on us was taken out on him on the cross. And then in his resurrection, all the glory um, goes to God because Jesus uh, has defeated sin uh, in the grave uh, in that moment. So as we plant this church, um, the glory can go to no one else um, but Jesus alone. So I would invite you um, this morning as we, as we celebrate um, that you would thank Jesus. Um, it's very easy in this moment to get caught up, I think, in the moment, which is good. But I would invite you, uh, when you go home, um, when you're laying your head on your pillow tonight, wh- whenever it is, when you have a quiet moment, that you would thank Jesus for what he's doing. Um, because it's, it's easy for us to forget, or it's easy for us to assume, wow, they're doing something down there. I don't really know what's going on, um, but, but, but I hope it's going on. No, thank Jesus because he's doing it. He started the work and he's continuing it. And so now as, uh, as we pray, uh, let's, let's thank Jesus uh, for what he is doing. Jesus, we are thankful um, to you for what you are doing and have already done um, in our community. Jesus, we are um, holding on to the promise that you have come, that you have come to bring good news um, to all of us, but especially to our neighborhood. Uh, we are holding on to the fact that you are binding up brokenhearted, that you are setting um, at liberty those who are oppressed and captive. Um, Jesus, we thank you that you are doing that. And we thank you that you are getting all the glory. And that as we uh, plant a church, that um, the only place that uh, the glory can go is to you and to your fame. And so as we, um, as we leave this place Father, would we be thankful? Would we stand in awe of who you are and for what you have done um, in uh, bringing this about, in, in sending, your, uh, sending Jesus your, yourself to come to live um, out Isaiah 61 and to die uh, for us and to be resurrected from the dead so that we might um, experience the power that you have uh, for us. And so we thank you in advance for what you're going to do and thank you for this body um, that loves uh, you and loves what you're doing. We ask for your continued grace on all of that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.